Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, a weekly podcast for BJJ enthusiasts who are striving to succeed both on and off the mats. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. And here are your hosts on the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. Bigger is better, right? <laughs> In Texas, for sure, one hundred percent. That's yeah. why. That's why Austin has become the mecca of jujitsu because they finally realized, right? Bigger it, is it better. Is, it Come is to really, Texas. you know, you think about it like because what you said is true. Austin really has become, at least for like no gi jujitsu, it really has become kind of the mecca of the world, and it's interesting to see like what combination of events led to that happening. Because I would say, like, okay, if COVID never happened, insert your conspiracy theory here, uh, I don't think that Austin would be the mecca. Because I don't think the Danaher Death Squad guys ever would have left New York um, if it weren't oh, for interesting. You know, interesting. COVID restrictions and stuff like that. And then, because grappling, actually the first sporting event in the whole world was Chael Sonnen's Submission Underground. It was done in like maybe April or May of 2020. So it was the very first sport after everything shut down. His was the first. So in a way, grappling events, ironically enough, were some of the first sporting things to come back, grappling and then UFC. So because you had competitions continuing and a lot of the competitions were based from flow grappling, which is based out of Austin, that was another thing that happened is all of a sudden Austin became the no-gi competition place in the in the in the world essentially so now you had the competition and you had texas being a relatively open state and then you had new york being a relatively closed state which led dan and her guys to go to puerto rico and thankfully puerto rico is probably a delightfully relaxing place to do nothing but if you want to do something it's probably very stressful so those guys left that and they moved to austin um because of the sort of openness of it because of the fact there's all the competitions, now you have a place where you have fertile ground for it to be sort of the mecca of something. And then on top of it, you have probably the fastest growing city in the country anyway. So you have all these people moving here for all different reasons. And I think that there's a sort of an energy that starts happening. It's sort of a, a momentum that starts happening with the city where when a lot of people are moving for different reasons, it becomes almost a place where, you know, that's where people go to make their dreams happen or the next part of their career or whatever. So the idea of like, I'm going to go here and I'm going to pursue my dream of, you know, jujitsu glory, it doesn't seem as crazy because you're not moving to like, you're moving where versus, oh yeah, I'm moving, I got a buddy who's moving there, this, that, there's so many, it's got so much momentum that it doesn't seem crazy. And so all of a sudden, it went from a place that had, you know, decent jujitsu three or four years ago to all of a sudden, you know, now it's, probably the best place in the world. So that's pretty crazy how quickly those things can change. Um, trying to figure out how we tie this in with what we were just talking about before, because I feel like they're totally unrelated subjects, but we'll talk about what we were talking about before and then we'll, we'll tie it in. It'll come to us. Um, <laughs> because you were talking about something that's interesting and it's interesting from a jujitsu point of view, but I think there's, there's other things to think about in life that it's interesting in as well. And that was the idea that if you are a smaller person, it's well, kind of, let, let, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you run with it, 
Yeah. But take it from the idea because there's this fundamental idea with business and jujitsu. Yeah. Um, and this idea is you need to become comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Yes. yes. And now kind of bring it back to, um, well, in jujitsu, um, like where do you where do you draw the line? You know what I mean? As far as okay, uh, I'm going to put myself in these really uncomfortable situations, but there has to be some parameters. There has to be some control, or if not, um, there's the possibility of you getting injured, right? And then yeah. how? And then once that happens, how often are you going to continue to put yourself in these uncomfortable situations? Yeah, and that's I think you know sort of the the concept of building up a, a type of tolerance, I guess, because it's it's partly a tolerance in terms of mitigating the the fear that you might feel the claustrophobia in the terms of jiu-jitsu or um you know the idea that there are so many vulnerabilities uh, that you face in a, in a bad position in jiu-jitsu and then there's also the trust factor which is something that you and i were talking about and the i think this is goes into the idea of the importance of relationships because as much as we're like well business and jiu-jitsu they're different but it's like but they're really sort of geared upon the same thing, which is they're built upon relationships and the idea of trust, because that's, I think, the basis of all relationships is trust. You need that in business because you are trusting somebody with your time, with your money, with doing what they say they're going to do. And so, you know, if you're building a building and you're hiring, you know, a contractor and an architect and a you know, civil engineer and all those different things, you're trusting them with your time and money and their expertise to move you closer to the goal line and then you might have a broker to find tenants and things like that so so all of that involves relationships and you know you are leaving yourself vulnerable in a way because you're sort of putting your time money reputation in the hands of somebody else that is true in a jiu-jitsu point of view as well because if you're developing the relationship with a good training partner your goal is to get better jiu-jitsu together can can I say something? Because yeah. you, yeah. like, like you said, you're going to bring it full circle, and yeah, and and you have so well already. Because I will say that because of my lack of trust. So you know, when you start jujitsu, you hear a lot of people say, "Start with your guard." I actually see this a lot on like, um, you know, when people post on new white belts what yeah. they should be learning first, and yeah. they're like, "Bro." You just got to get really good at your defense and learn the guard. Yeah. I tell you, I did it absolutely the opposite of it. Yeah. Like, I never played guard. My, yeah. From white belt up until brown belt, never, ever, ever played guard. Yeah. Um, because the times I got played guard, because I was usually much smaller than the people I was rolling with, I would get completely, just completely crushed, rolled up on my neck, um, there's guys wearing white belts that are good wrestlers, right? They're, they're white belts because their belts are white, but they yeah. have like purple belt experience, brown belt experience, Habib type experience, right? Yeah. And they're coming in there and I'm like, man, I'm not going to just lay here on my back. I need to get on top. Yeah. So that way I'm not getting injured. And, and so from pretty much, I did everything the opposite from white to brown. I worked nothing but passing, getting on top, passing, yeah. getting on top maintaining control from yeah. the top yeah over that length of period from white to brown i developed good relationships 
with people that I trust because I've been rolling with them since I was a white belt. Mm -hmm. And now at brown belt, because of the relationships that I have, guess what I'm doing? I'm working on my guard. Yeah. Right. Because I know who I can work that with and who I can't work that with because I've developed these relationships. Yeah. And, and, and to sort of tie into that, because you're smaller than a lot of the guys you train with, there has to be more trust on your part because simple physics and gravity already puts you at a, at a relatively big disadvantage. And if you're putting yourself in a position of trust where you're like, OK, I'm giving somebody a position where they have way more offense than I do you're trusting that that person is not going to go super fast or do something to hurt you, that that, that person's goal is going to be for you to work on staying safe and then work on escaping. And you're right, I didn't think about it that way, but that is that is a big step to take, and, and it makes sense to develop trusting relationships first because, you know, I've done this before where I've literally, the first time I've ever trained with somebody. Before you put yourself in these compromising positions, yeah, right? Yeah. As opposed yeah. to blindly yeah. just putting yourself in these. Oh, because I've done I've done the blindly before with people like literally first time, I've, just first time I've met the guy and I'm training with him and I'm letting him get all sorts of positions on me. And and most of the time, I mean, my defense is pretty good, so it's, it's fine. But there have been some times where all of a sudden I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with the level it's at and then they get, like one more component or whatever, I'm like, hmm, probably should know this person a little bit better before I put myself in this much jeopardy. Um, but that's, you know, that's the difference is that these guys are close to my size. So it's not, you know, I'm not putting myself in a huge disadvantage. But And, and you're over 20 years of training jujitsu. And yeah. I know you, I, I, this is going to be a given. It's almost a rhetorical question. But have you ever trained with a guy and at the end, uh, you know, maybe you, you you guys have both rolled quite a bit uh, during the open mat and you come to each other and you're almost at the, you know, the end of the open mat, like one last roll. And you're like, hey, let's just kind of work. And you both had this gentleman's agreement. Yeah. But you don't really know the guy. He doesn't really know you. And you start out flowing really good. And, you, and, and, and in the flow, you know how sometimes you give up position, right? Yeah. Have you ever like given given the position? Then all of a sudden it turns from flow to like. Yeah. It's all like full on it. I mean, I don't know how many times that's happened to me where some I'm rolling with someone who I've never met before. And we're like, yeah, let's just start flowing. And it can it's usually it's usually a bigger white belt, to be honest with you. I'm just going to I'm just going to say it. And they normally would not get me in these compromising positions, but I give up my back because we're flowing like you gave like you flowed. I got your back. I locked up. I released. And we're, yeah. we're, we're moving and we're moving and we're moving. And then I give you my back, my brother, yeah. they, they go full on yeah. crushing my jaw with a rear naked choke. It's like, what yeah. is going on? And, and it just happens over and over again, where finally I get to a point where you're like, no, you know what? I can't trust you. I can't yeah. trust anybody. You know yeah. what I mean? And I yeah. think that always goes back to my, my, and what was taught to me in boxing. Keep yourself safe at all times. Yes, I, I Keep agree. Keep yourself safe at all times. Yeah, because I have a buddy who, um, he was a school owner for for quite quite a number of years, and he's a little bit smaller than me, not not a big like a medium sized guy, and he was good, good black belt, wrestled before that, but he was a very um, mellow person, had sort of very mellow personality, and I remember him telling me like sort of that same thing, like he's like you know I'm giving these people you know giving my students positions and you know, allowing them to do offense on me. And, and he's like, I feel like they don't, some of them don't respect me in a way because it's almost like he's he's being too nice to them. 
And that I think is, it's really interesting thinking about it because the reason I think that we've got such good training partners is that we all know where we stand with each other because there was times where we were all trying to legitimately beat each other. And then it became clear like, okay, you might be able to beat this guy. This guy, no, nah, that's not going to happen. Like this guy, maybe, you know, it's just, and it's sort of the pecking order sort of laid itself out. And then from there, then it became, okay, well, now the goal is just to make each other better. And that's different than directly competing with each other. Um, but I wonder, is it possible to get that trust without going through that first? Like, I don't know, because I, I think about that with. Um, no, because I, yeah. I don't think it is. I, I, I mean, look, at, at the end of the day, like in business, you have to. OK, so I think there's certain instances where you just have to give blind trust. Yes. Right. Um, and then I think that there's certain instances that you don't give that. Right. Like it depends. Like, for, for example, in business, to some degree, you're going to have to in order to move a deal forward, whether you're in business, real estate, whatever you're doing. To a certain degree, you got to give some blind trust. But even then, you're going to vet the people that you're working with. Yeah. If if you're you know if the banker wants to work with you, he has to give you some blind trust. But yeah. he's going to vet you also, right? Like there's Absolutely. sort of kind of an interview process that yeah. takes place. Yeah. And and um, I think that if you're a competitive athlete, then I think a lot of this stuff goes out the window. It really doesn't apply to you, right? But if you're like a jujitsu enthusiast, hobbyist. Eh, there's no reason to give away like I don't have to give anybody blind trust like, yeah. OK, you know, because at the end of the day, it's a, it, it comes down to the why. Right. Like, what are you why? Why are you there and what are you trying to accomplish? Yeah. And being getting injured and getting hurt is not um, going to get me to where is is not going to help me accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish. Right. Like yeah. I'm trying to get better at jujitsu but I'm not a professional jujitsu athlete, right? Like I'm a hobbyist. I'm trying to stay in shape. Getting injured is not going to help me stay in shape. It's going to set me back yeah. months, you know? Um, so I completely agree with the idea of putting yourself in these bad positions and learning to be comfortable in those bad positions. I think it needs to happen, but depending on who you are, if you're a professional jujitsu athlete and your whole dream is like to make money doing jujitsu and to be the next Gordon Ryan, then I think by all means, it should be the same as boxing. When we were training, we would just show up San Antonio, Houston, it didn't matter. And like, you were going to spar or fight whoever, right? Like that's, that is, you're, you're living that life. Um, and I think when you're a professional jujitsu athlete, I think it's the same thing, right? Like it's, you, you're, you're going to, you show up to an open mat, you're going to roll with everybody. You're going to train yeah. with everybody. Yeah. And, and, and that's it because you're living that life. But I think that if you're not a professional jujitsu athlete, then I would say, you know, don't be so willing to put yourself in these bad positions. Instead, it would be better to develop relationships with people. Yeah that you can get those uncomfortable reps in, but at the same time, you have developed enough of a relationship where you trust them that they're not gonna go and injure you by like spazzing out or yeah. whatever. Yeah, no, it's, that's a really interesting way of putting it because I hadn't thought about it, but that's absolutely what happened. And, you know, the business comparison I would say is that, you know, if you are the investor, the developer or whatever, you have to perform at a certain point. I mean, you have to have the money that you say you have. You have to be able to pull the trigger on things. You have to be able to develop a track record in order for people to trust you. Because if you're just somebody who's going around being a, a looky-loo, a tire kicker, whatever you want to say, 
the word gets around after a while, like this guy's just a waste of time. You know what I mean? Versus, um, you know, the best way for a track record, the best way to get trust is to have a track record. Um, you know, I'm meeting a guy on Tuesday, a potential architect. I'm meeting him, but the warehouses have already built because I want to be like, I've done these. I own this land right here. I'm looking at doing something similar and do whatever. He volunteered to meet over there. That was actually his idea. But it helps me because now this guy knows, okay, this guy's not messing around. Like I already own the land. I already have done this. Like I've done it before. Like I'm getting recommended from people that he knows and he's worked with. And same thing with him. Um, so it's important, I think. And I always had a sense of that with, with business and real estate that I never wanted to waste somebody's time. I always wanted to, you know, if I made an offer to buy a house, that's why I never really liked wholesaling. I was like, I want to make sure I have the money that I say I have that I want to buy this house with when I make that offer. Because I don't ever want to do something where, to me, the worst thing would be to like get something under contract or do something like that and then be like, I have to drop out because I don't have the money. Like that to me would be the worst thing because you'd be unreliable then. And right, because building trust is, you know, the number one thing to building trust is always doing what you say you're going to do. Exactly. That's, I mean, exactly. that's it's simple as that. And that's the people you're going to, I really do believe that if you do that, you will attract the people that are like that. If you're one of these like, and I've met huckster people, Mo, I've met people like that in real estate. I've met people that have gone, I don't know if they've gone to prison or not, but they've certainly been sued like they should go, <laughs> they to, prison. Could go to prison. Yeah, they should. I mean, I've <laughs> met people that are, you know, that have gone bankrupt, rightfully so. I've met people, like a ton of people like that when I worked in the film business. Um, they tend to attract the their own kind. You know what I mean? Like if you're sort of a huckster type person, you're going to attract other hucksters or you're going to attract, you know, the reason I think a lot of these real estate people focus on like single family stuff is because that's going to be your naive beginning investor. Those are going to be the type of people that gravitate towards single family. I mean, with, you know, what I do, it's like, I'm like industrial and things like that. It's like, you don't really get a lot of hucksters. That's why the industrial agents, they, they're, they're like wearing, at best, he's wearing a polo shirt, but usually it's like, you know, like a golf shirt and like shorts because they're not, they're not dressing up for people because it's just not this kind of business. You know what I mean? There's no like, I'm, you know, this is the listing. Here's the terms. We can talk about this and this. But at the end of the day, it's like we're just looking for a deal or not looking for a deal versus I think that in other things, they want to sell somebody on like the lifestyle and, you know, freedom and all these different things versus is this house worth buying or not? Does this thing like are you getting this for under market value? What work does it legitimately need? How much work does that actually cost? What can you resell it for? What can you rent it for? Like, what are the real details with this stuff? Um, that's why, again, I think that you and I were attracted to like somebody like Tom McKay because he's never he's never dressed up fancy. He's never doing whatever. But if you ever look him up, like some of the stuff I've looked up, things that he owns because I, I know the property. Like I know, you know, he lives in Austin. And if you look up like corporate wiki, which is a Wikipedia for different corporations, they will show you corporations that are owned by the same people or owned by the same entities. And it's like, there are literally, there's like 50 different corporations tied in with that guy, 50, five, zero. So he owns a lot of property. Like he legitimately does. And so to me, it's like, that's somebody I'm going to listen to because I, it's not him making these promises or selling whatever. He wasn't selling anything for years and years and years. He just had a YouTube channel with good free information. So that's the kind of person that I'm going to, um, in a sense, train with. You know what I mean? Like, cause, cause training in jujitsu is to, to get better. And by doing that, you're sort of asking questions. What would happen if I did this? What would this person do? 
Well, that's kind of the same thing with a trusting relationship in real estate. It's like, hey, I'm looking at this property. What do you think about this? And the reason I have the brokers I have is that they've lived in Temple forever. So it's like, oh, well, this guy used to own this home or, you know, own this lot of land or whatever it was. And then his son bought it. And, you know, they'll be able to tell me the whole history of something. And that helps because it's like, okay, maybe this is more of a sentimental purchase or like the land I just bought. It was from this guy who owned a, um, a burger stand near downtown. He wanted to open up a second location, but then COVID happened. And at some point he's like, ah, I think I just want to cash out. So it wasn't really like an emotional thing. It was more like, okay, the business opportunity, you own this thing for a long time. Okay, this isn't going to work out. Okay, I'll just, I'll just sell it. So therefore, I was able to be like, hey, we need like eight months before we can close on this because we got to see about changing zoning and all that. And he was cool with all that because it wasn't, he's not in a hurry, he's not whatever. He just is like, I kind of want to retire. I don't want to do this anymore. So it's a very, like knowing that mentality helps on negotiating and, and presenting terms and all that. And that all depends on having a good relationship. And the same thing I think I was thinking about that with jujitsu. It's like when you really trust your training partners, they will give you leeway on something and allow you to work and sort of study what you're doing. So you're kind of studying each other's actions. And that does take a lot of trust because somebody who's not in the loop is going to see like maybe an opportunity and they're going to move quickly. They're going to move like violently. And the problem with all that is that natural human instinct is to match pace or to get defensive or do whatever. And then what's worse, and I think you alluded to this before, is you're not going to put yourself in that position of vulnerability again. And the problem with that is now you're never really learning these nuances. You're just avoiding them or you're rushing through them. And, you know, I, I think that you see that in striking sometimes when somebody's learning head movement, stuff like that. And it's like, it involves a certain amount of trust because especially if you know the guy's going to move, there's the temptation to always punch where he's moving. But, you know, like learning that, developing the confidence to do that. And then what you always see is that you start learning the confidence in a drill. Okay, now I'm going to start trying it with my trusted training partners and sparring. Okay, now I'm going to try with somebody who I train with, but I don't train with as much. Or I haven't trained with in a while. So they're not as familiar with what I'm doing. So maybe they're not going to agree to this little dance that we've started doing. I don't know, I got to see. And then eventually you can work it in a competition. So it's like a hundred percent. And you brought up something really interesting in terms of people that the better you are at jujitsu and definitely the better you are and stronger uh, you are in jujitsu, you can give up more trust. Yes. Right. Because I gave the example of me being like 150 pounds, right? And if I'm training with someone who's 200 or over 200 or even 180, it, yeah. it's 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 a lot of it's it's a lot of weight. If you flip those, right? Like the 200 pound guy is training with me, and we're like close to experience. Yeah. He can he can give up a lot more trust even training with me because he knows that for the most part he could if like. If his technique can't get him out of the bad situation, he can pretty much spaz out, bench press yeah. me off, yeah. right? And literally, you know, use the technique that people hate. And it's like, hey, bro, just stand up. He Wait could probably yeah. just stand up, right? Because yeah. he's that big and strong. Yeah. But when you're a smaller individual training jujitsu, you have to, like, especially females that train jujitsu, yeah. yeah. right? Let's take it from that angle. Like, are they going to put themselves in these really compromising positions? Because 
they are not going to be able to rely on strength to get them out. They have to 100% rely on technique. And if their technique is not on par, then they're, they're, there's a possibility. And, and the guy or gal who's on top of them yeah. is not someone that um, is a part of this gentleman's agreement or ladies agreement. Yeah. Um, there can be a, a real scrap going on. And again, I think if you're a professional jujitsu athlete, then you're down to scrap. You're ready. You're there yeah. to scrap. You should be there to scrap, right? Yeah. Um, that should be your mindset walking in all the time. And that doesn't mean you're going to scrap with everybody, but if somebody wants to scrap with you, then well, let's get it on, you know? Yeah. But if you're the, you know, like I said, the enthusiast, the hobbyist, the, uh, the jujitsu executive, yeah. right? Um, that's just a, a nice way of saying jujitsu <laughs> old guy. That's right. Uh, then you may want to consider whether or not you're going to put yourself in these positions, especially um, if you're not super big, super strong, where you can yeah. muscle your way out of these bad situations. Yeah. Yeah. The analogy I would say in business is that um, it's a very different thing going to the table and negotiating when you have the money versus when 100%. you are trying to raise the money or something like that. Because when you have the money, you have the power. You have, you the have power. power. Yeah. Because it's like you don't have to do the deal. If you are relying on the deal to make you the money, it's a different situation. And that analogy with you know the smaller guy, the smaller woman, they're going to be put in those positions. Like they they don't have to volunteer to get they're going to get volunteered. They're going to get drafted into those positions. <laughs> um, versus the bigger guy tends to have to put himself in those positions. True. And then from there, the advantage of being bigger, it's like the guy with the money because you have more time. Because for the for the smaller person to be able to inflict, you know, wearing the bigger guy out, it takes more time, it takes more movement. The bigger guy has those that that more time which gives him more reps, more time under tension, which is why if somebody's like Jeff and smart and they play that bottom position a lot, they become unstoppable because nobody can hurt them when they're on the bottom and then nobody can withstand them on top because they have such a good understanding of the bottom defenses leads to their top, top offenses. Um, but that's sort of like going into negotiating having the money. Now, when you're going into negotiating needing the deal to make the money, that to me is being smaller. And that does involve, I think, more movement, just like when you're sort of a bird dog or a wholesaler, you have the time, but you don't have the money. So you got to hustle. you got to make the connections and make the relationships. That's what the smaller person is doing is sort of making those relationships in jujitsu as well. So part of that might be developing some offense from those positions first, developing some ways to get back to their feet first, or like the way Mo did it, you just develop the opposite first, develop the respect and trust of the people. And then from there, because so again, with the wholesaler, it's like if you show, oh, I'm finding good, reliable deals to this person over and over again, well, maybe at some point they'll bring you into a partner or you're building up your nest egg of money. Now, eventually you get to go to the table with the money. And that's exactly how it happened time. for us in, in, yeah. in business. Is yeah. Because initially, when we started in business, we 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 had no capital, right? We had very little capital, yeah. and I wanted to partner with any well, not with anyone, uh, with people that I trusted, but especially people that had money, right? Yeah. And I got to say that I'm so fortunate and so blessed yeah. 
yeah. that a lot of the people that I wanted to partner with, they said no. They're like, ah, we're, we don't really need you, Mo. And yeah. they were, and I didn't, I didn't, I was upset then. Not yeah. A, I, yeah, no, I was upset then because it was discouraging because I could have really went from A to Z really quick had right. they partnered up with me. But right. now I completely understand why they didn't. And I'm so happy that they said no. And the reason why is because through it, it forced me to figure out how can I get the capital just through my own hard work. Yes. I got the capital on my own. And now the situation has flipped. Yeah. There are people that literally they want to partner with me. Yeah. And I'm like, nah, I don't yeah. want to partner with anybody because I don't need to partner with anybody because yeah. now at this point I have all my own money. Yes. And what I will say also is that you bring up such a good point with the negotiating from a position of power. And there's actually a really good book out there that was recommended by Dan Pinion. I read it. It was called Negotiating Through Intimidation mm-hmm. uh, or something like that. Right. Yeah. And basically yeah. what it comes what what it, the whole premise of the book is. When you're the person with all the money, you're in a position of power. And the reason why is because because you're already financially free, because you're already financially indestructible, you can do the most powerful thing anybody can do in any sort of business deal. And that is say no. When you are someone like in the beginning where I didn't have any capital, sometimes you you will do deals that are not the most ideal deals because you just need to scrap together yeah. dollars and hundreds and then eventually hopefully they turn into thousands and then eventually hopefully they turn into hundreds of thousands but sometimes you say yes to deals that are just not very good or yeah. deals that you're going to have to work very hard just to make a little bit of money whereas the person with the capital they don't really have to do any deals for the rest of their life right and so they have the ability just to say nah i don't feel like doing it and i remember somebody telling me here's a good story about this actually so i remember um I uh, reached out to a mentor. I found a deal um, and uh, I was like, okay, um, this deal was gonna was going to net like 20K, right? And I reached out to the mentor. I didn't have the money to do the deal, right? Mm-hmm. So I reached out to the mentor and I was like, hey, um, I partnered up with you on this deal and we can go 50-50. And I remember what he told me. He goes, Mo, I don't get out of bed unless, my, if I, unless I'm gonna make 20K. I don't get out of bed unless I'm going to make 20K. And I was like, what? He's going to make $10,000 for doing nothing. That's a lot of money. Well, it was a lot of money to me, but to him, it wasn't a lot of money for him, right? So um, he said no, and I wasn't able to do the deal. Fast forward uh, five years later, uh, I have somebody call me almost on the exact same thing. They had this great deal. Yeah. And it was this, it, it was this female, she was like a, she was like bird dog and she was wholesaling mm-hmm. a really good deal. And same thing. She was like, you're going to net 10 K. Um, you got to put up the money. And I, and I remember saying the exact same thing. I said, I don't get out of bed unless I'm going to get 20 K yeah. and I'm going to get that relatively quick. And she was like, wow, you don't get out of bed. I remember she was like, wow, you yeah. don't get out of bed for 10 K. Yeah. You know, I, man, I, I, I do all sorts of things to get 10 K. And I was like, yeah, I, I've been there too. Yeah. Um, and things just change. It's, it's, it's all relative, but, yeah. um, have the person that has the capital has the power, has the influence, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Cause it's, you know, I mean, your analogy is great in terms of like, you know, there, there would be the equivalent of that smaller person in jujitsu being like, I wish I could just snap my fingers and be 200 pounds all of a sudden. And it's like, what you would lose for that is there's a lot of, as much as, I do think it's just big, better to be bigger in, in combat sports in general. There's a whole 
guy. Well, you even we were training yesterday, and you were talking about yeah, Gordon Ryan is. I mean, we saw his last match. Yeah, completely. Just it's he is. He's light years ahead of everybody. He's the best in the world by far. But part of the reason he's the best is because he's a big guy. Yes. If because there was a time, um, I remember like I I saw um, uh, an old. Like when he was doing like the like Naga like Naga type events yeah. way yeah. back in the day, yeah. he yeah. was not a big dude. No, at all. No, no. he you know wasn't. What I mean? And so and, and he so realized would, he, would 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 he be able to dominate the no. way he would? No, no, no. because there's, there's no way you know to yeah. be like no, I don't I don't need the size, I just need the yeah. skill. No. Yeah. No, 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 you need both. And, and that's it's funny. There's a there's a guy who's got a pretty good YouTube channel called Hard to Hurt, and he's like this little guy. He was a police officer, and, and I think he was a pro kickboxer and he's he's got pretty good information on stuff and he's real honest and he was talking about like he's like oh people say jiu-jitsu is a good martial art for smaller people he's like no all martial arts suck for smaller people like fight he's like you're talking about combat and combat is always worse when you're smaller like i don't care what anybody says it's true and and, and that is that is absolutely true. Is true um so i think it's always be- better to be bigger however there are things that a smaller person is going to be able to do sort of movement wise, sort of squeezing into openings that a bigger person is not gonna be able to do. And part of becoming effective is sort of doing that hustle to figure those things out. And then sort of usually that's when they start developing more of the top game and stuff like that. Once they figured out that bottom game, it can be done either either order though, it doesn't really matter. Um, but there is sort of a, you know, there's gonna, there's a reality check that's going to happen sooner or later. And, and what I mean by that is that, you know, when you have a lot of women that are in self-defense classes, one of the mistakes that I see is that most, a lot of these self-defense classes are just other women. And I'm like, unless you want to be on uh, world star or something like that, more than likely as a woman worried about self-defense, you're going to be attacked by a man. So you should learn how to deal with the reality of that because if you just get used to female energy and female strength and stuff like that, and then you deal with a guy, I don't care what the politically correct world says, it's a big difference. It's a huge difference. Um, so, you know, that that is something that needs to be practiced and all that. And that's just one of those things where it's not fair and it's going to be harder. Just like if you're born without money or you're born in a situation or you're in a situation where you don't have money, you're going to have to work harder for that deal that you want everyone to say yes for than the person with money who's only going to say yes if it makes sense and even then it's still a maybe like that's not <laughs> fair but it's like but you, but like you said you've been but on it both is, sides but, of that. but but it, but it, um no and i love that what you said is 100 correct and i'm with you but it is fair it is fair for the guy with the money because you know what the guy with the money didn't always have the money yeah yeah, because I was that guy. I didn't always have guy, the money, but now I understand side. why he said no. Because now I'm saying no, right? Yeah. Like I had to scrap for my stuff. Yes, and that's that's the thing, and that's sort of what what happens ultimately is that um, what's interesting is the woman that you talk to. Maybe in four or five years, she's saying that same thing to somebody and else. Hope, and I hope, she, I know? hope it is. Yeah, and that's sure. that's that's what's so interesting about all that is that um, there's sort of a reason why that order happens, and I think that with Gordon Ryan in, in particular, he started jiu-jitsu when he was still a teenager. So he was probably training with adult men as a teenager. So he wasn't as strong and he was smaller and all that. And he developed really good technique, but he had the ambition and the ability to be the best in the world. But he knew he's like, this is still a game of physics, so I need to get bigger. 
And, you know, people can see like, oh, I took steroids, but maybe, probably, who knows. But I guarantee you the guys he's competing against are on steroids as well. It all equals out, right? To me, me it's like it's not a matter of like all these, uh, you know, these fine fellas that he's going against. The guy he just went against the other night who was like 175 pounds three years ago is now 215 pounds. Um, You're not going to convince me that any of these guys are natural. So that part of the playing field is equal, but it needs to be relatively equal. You know what I mean? Like it's just one of those things that if you are trying to be in combat or something like that, you need a certain amount of size. If you're trying to be in a type of business, you need a certain amount of money. I mean, like you cannot do what I'm doing now without a certain amount of money. And the stuff that I want to do in the future, I don't have enough money right now. I don't have enough track record. You know, I mean, like if I'm looking at doing a, you know, an, an eight-figure deal right now, it's, it's it's questionable whether I could get that done or not. You know, I mean, if it's a, a nine- And you don't want to, right? Like if it's, and that's a big thing for me. That's where the discipline yeah. comes in. Yeah. Uh, because um, you don't want to over, you'd like in boxing, you don't want to overextend. Yes. You, yes. Cuz then you then you're out of you're you're out of position, you're off balance yep. and it, you you're very susceptible to getting countered and getting yes. knocked down, right? Yes. yes. And and I think that, you know, it's but all these things go in, in in steps because there's also, you know, I had somebody I've had people call me about mobile home deals or whatever. I'm just like I'm not doing that stuff anymore. Because it's like it's a certain amount of hassle, it's a certain amount of work for money that to me is just not worth making in that way because i got my eye focused on stuff that's that's a lot bigger that requires more moving parts and more energy and all that i just to me it's also like i think a matter of um there's that old saying i mean you can you don't want to chase two rabbits at once because you won't get either of them it's like you want to focus on one and i look at that with what i'm doing now is like that's my focus i don't want to go backwards and and work on mobile home stuff because it's it got me to a certain point but there's I feel like there's sort of a cap on, on certain things. Like you kind of get to a certain point where it's like, you know, in my business before with flipping, it's like I was going to have to spend an enormous amount of money on marketing to get to the next level, like a crazy amount of money. And to me, that just started to seem not worth it. Because I also it think, wasn't, it yeah, didn't. I also think there's a personality aspect yeah. to it too, right? Like, um, cause I look at John Fedro and he's, he's been able to scale relatively, yeah. really large, but yeah. he loves mobile homes. Right. And I just yeah. think like, if you really, really loved mobile homes, you'd probably yeah. start buying these commercial parts. You, you, yeah. you'd find a way to buy these really big yeah. parts and you yeah. make a ton of money doing it. And, and you definitely can. Warren yeah. Buffett owns biggest, most parks, yeah, right? Warren like, Buffett so and Sam Zell are the two biggest mobile home park owners in the country. So I mean, there you like, go, right? Like to say that you can't do mobile homes and do big, I think for you yeah. though, you just have a different vision. You have a different am, uh, different ambition. Yeah. Uh, but let me get your thoughts really quick. What do you tell the person that doesn't have a lot of money? I mean, there will always be a special place in my heart for mobile home investing because when oh, I talk yeah. about capital that I've gained, yeah. Yeah. Part of the reason I'm in the position I am in now is because of my yeah. early mobile home deals. And I didn't even have to do a lot of them. It was like deals I did over two years. And, yeah. you know, we don't do we don't really do mobile homes anymore, uh, really. Um, but, man, we made a lot of money doing mobile yeah. investing. Yeah. What, what was a lot of money for me then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it's, it's all relative. So I, I definitely think for like you know, for people that are stuck in that nine to five yeah. and they're looking to jump into real estate yeah. and they don't know anything about real estate, yeah. 
Man, mobile home investing. I think mobile homes is great. I think mobile homes, I think uh, bird dogging, and, and essentially by bird dogging, I mean finding deals. Like, So here, here's an example of how you could do that. Um, if you have a dog, you walk your dog in the neighborhood. Like I can tell you every house on my street that's vacant. There's actually a lot of them that are vacant too. Um, I can tell you homes that have been owned by people probably since these homes were built just by the condition of the home or the, the age of the person living there or whatever. Now, if I was somebody who was looking to make some money off that, I'd start looking around and seeing who are the people that are buying homes in the neighborhoods, like the, the investors and stuff like that. And I would start contacting them and be like, hey, Mrs. So-and-so over here, like, you know, she's clearly not keeping this home up very well and she's an older person and things like that. She might be interested in a cash offer. Like, you can start seeing that just in, a, in the area you live, the, the acres of diamonds principle. Like no matter where you live, um, even if you live in an apartment, like you live in like a rundown apartment, landlord never takes care of anything, that's appealing to a certain type of investor because a certain kind of investor is going to go, hmm, this thing's rundown, this person's not taking good care of it. Um, that means they probably are like an original owner. So that means they probably want to cash out and then I can fix it up. I can up the rents. I can make it nicer. You know, hopefully you wouldn't get kicked out because your rents will go up too much. But but even apartments or wherever you might live, that is appealing to a certain type of investor. And because we live in the Internet age, that's a simple Google search away of finding someone. So, you know, my advice to people that are younger or stuck in a nine to five or whatever is start seeing how you can find leads on the ground for people who may have the money, but they don't have the time because you have the time, but you don't have the money. So take advantage of that time. You may have the location because, you know, I actually just got contacted by an investor somewhere in the Midwest who wanted to buy my rental houses in Temple. And they said something like they just made like $9 million on some land deal that they sold to Tesla and that they're looking to invest in this and that, but they live like in Wisconsin or something like that. So if you're somebody living somewhere that people are starting to buy property, well, you have a huge advantage that the investor doesn't have because you will know the different streets. Oh, this is a good street. Oh, this is close to this. Oh, I know the person who owns this home or I know their family. All those things are valuable to somebody. So again, we go back to the idea of relationships because you can have a relationship to an area and that relationship can be valuable to someone. So when you're starting off, you're taking advantage of those relationships, those hustle. And once you get the relationship and the reputation with the investors being somebody who's going to deliver, do what they say they're going to do, that becomes even more valuable. So that's that's kind of an idea of how to sort of work your way up when you don't have a lot of money is, is figuring out that hustle. And, you know, in jujitsu terms, as the smaller person, it's learning how to survive. It's learning how to attack from those positions and things like that and then sooner or later you develop enough trust with your training partners that now you can do more risk but not have it be risky because you trust the people you're involved with but it, but it just takes time in developing relationships so i feel like we are the first person in history to combine bad positions in jiu-jitsu with building up business relationships and business i think that i think we were the first ones who ever did but i feel like we 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 bridge this pretty well. I feel pretty good about it. You know, uh, I'm just saying, 
don't be surprised if Joe Rogan's next podcast yeah. is yeah. an exact replica yeah, once of again. what we just did today. I mean, I'm just saying. It's already once happened again. Uh, five, ten times. That's true. Um, we were in Austin first. He comes to Austin. I think it's just to be closer, yeah. uh, have his ear to what we're doing here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you didn't, you know, when you were talking about, I mean, you were, you were, you were modest when you were talking about, you know, why, uh, Austin is the Mecca of jujitsu. Now right. you, you, for, well, one, you, you left out some big factors. You left out flow grappling. That's true. Right. That's true. Uh, yeah. you left out robeless. Makers oh, of the I did. That, that, was, that was my apparel. biggest. Yeah. That was my biggest. Uh, mistake. That's probably the biggest one. Yeah, that is. Um, and you definitely left out the jujitsu of life podcast, right? That's true too. Yeah. I figured. Um, all out of Austin, you know? Yeah, that's so. true. I figured since this podcast is sponsored by Robles, <laughs> Makers of the World's Finest. <laughs> a little Club, bit too much. Uh, that, that, that therefore <laughs> it would be sort of implicitly implied that of course it's a huge appeal of the Austin area. Um, so, you know, come for the heat and stay for the jujitsu or something like that. That would be. <laughs> I love it. That's a mic drop. Check out uh, to listen to this episode or to check out our past episodes. Go to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Also, check us out on Apple, iTunes, like, review, subscribe. Shout out to Robles, makers of the world's finest custom Jiu-Jitsu apparel. Uh, you know, we make custom geese, yellow pine investments, makes custom warehouses. Be sure to check them out. Also, check out Quantum Leap Digital Design for all your website design needs. I'm Mo. That is my brother, Carter. As always, we wish you guys nothing but the best, both on and off the mat. Thank you for listening. Thank you, guys. That's it for this episode of the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Your hosts are Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. You can subscribe to the Robles newsletter to get the exclusive content at robles.com. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at thejujitsuoflife.com. And you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we wish you a great week, both on and off the mat.